Good morning from a rainy Pacific Northwest. This is a Tuesday. It's June 2nd. I'm not joking. 2015. My name is Chris, and this is Tech Talk Today, episode, I think, 100. What I say? 167? I can't even keep track because over the weekends I forget I do this show. No, it's 177. <laughs> I, you know what? They all run together because we had an intense, intense weekend this week. Uh, Noah came into town, and not only did we have... The biggest Linux action show in the history of the Linux action show, almost clocking in at two hours and 20 minutes. Now, if, if the recorded and released version is two hours and 20 minutes, that basically to do that, we started recording. Uh, we went on air around 9 a.m. And we got off air around 2 p.m. It was an intense, intense amount of recording. And then after that, after that, from that moment until the moment I came on air, the studio was inoperable. <laughs> the studio was totally inoperable. Uh, we we went through a whole bunch of stuff, uh, and uh, at first it was a total disaster. It was a total wiring disaster. I was even I was giving Noah quite a hard time. Uh, but uh, before he got out of here last night, he got everything all cleaned up. All the cords are put away and tidy. He even cleaned up the living room a little bit, and it is a clean operation now. We have clean, quiet audio. We have dedicated hardware just for some of the most important tasks. We've got video reruns going again on the on the live stream twenty four seven. So that's very nice. So it's a very it's a nice upgrade. We got without having to spend a whole. Well, Noah brought a computer, so Noah spent some money for sure, uh, plus the trip. But uh, the the uh, the without having to go out and buy like a whole bunch of gear and equipment, but just getting you know things to tidy tidy up cables, one replacement computer. We managed to get things in a really great state. So that's awesome because we just have so much work coming up with uh, Self and LinuxCon and BSDCAN plus our regular show load all happening within the next month or so. It's going to be nuts. So we had to get all this stuff put together. It really was like mandatory because you just get a point where if you're fighting this stuff constantly, it's too much distraction. You're splitting your energy too much. So it was great to have this come in and have Noah come in this weekend. And not only did we get so much great content recorded, but uh, we got the studio put together. Unfortunately, the faux show was a victim this week. Uh, and uh, we are using OBS more now. Uh, we are using it on Arch Linux, the chat room is asking. And uh, soon we'll be using OBS even a lot more. We just uh, have a couple of kinks to work out, but we'll have more information about that. Hey, let's get into the news. There's a lot of interesting stories that have developed over the last couple, well, what was it, 47 hours since we've been together, I believe it was. So let me bring in our mumble room. Time appropriate greetings. Mumble room. Hello. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. Hi. 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 So uh, guess what? Chris is excited about a new technology we might be getting soon. Uh, and I'll be honest. Uh, when I saw USB-C, I thought, woo-wee, that's, that reversible connector is sweet and it's pretty fast. Uh, and, and, you know, I like uh, the way uh, people are going to have devices that can charge or be charged or be a charger over USB-C. Man, is that looking good. Uh, and so I thought USB-C was too tasty to deny and it would usher in the death of Thunderbolt. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't Thunderbolt that Mac technology? No, don't be an idiot. No, actually, it was actually developed by Intel. Uh, the Thunderbolt is an incredible technology for media production because, and, and really, for any kind, anything you need that is, uh, the, anything you need on your PCI Express bus externally from your computer. So that could be a large storage array, absolutely, a large array of SSDs, an external GPU, or in my case, high definition or even 4K capture devices. Um, you, you could say yes, but Chris, Theoretically, USB-C is fast enough bandwidth-wise to easily do 1080p video. And I would say, yeah, yeah, you would think so, wouldn't you? You would think so. But it turns out that these controllers, and, and, and because it requires so much CPU load when you're using USB at that bandwidth, and the latency that's there, it's just all that comes together and makes for a rather unstable, combustible 
setup when you're doing media production. And so when you get things on FireWire or you get PCI Express capture cards, your, your stability basically goes to appliance level instead of PC kind of plug-and-play level. So I was a little, like, mm, selfish when I saw that USB-C was really going to be taken off. I was like, hmm, okay. I just was hoping we'd all just maybe spend the extra 50 bucks and uh, let's just get rid of USB and go with something with a dedicated controller on my PCI Express bus. And yes, I know there's security issues there, but never fear. For those of us who want Thunderbolt and USB-C, well, Intel's going to bring us the best of both worlds. Thunderbolt 3 will be using a USB-C connector. And along with that, there will be a universal cable that works as a USB-C cable, a Thunderbolt cable, or a DisplayPort cable. One cable. Now, there's one, one gotcha. That one cable is limited to 20 gigabits, which for Thunderbolt is child's play. <laughs> but it is actually still uh, pretty useful. Now, that's going to be a passive cable, so it's going to be cheaper. There will be also a fully compatible active cable that can do more than 40 gigabits. Then I don't know what the price is going to be, but it's probably going to be more expensive because it's going to be active. So you're going to be able to, with this one cable, you'd theoretically be able to push dual 4K monitors. You could charge 100 watts at 15 watts or 15-watt device. Uh, You get DisplayPort, PCI Express, USB, and Thunderbolt over a singular cable with one singular reversible connector. Come on, Mumble Room. Is this not... Is this not what we've been waiting for our entire computing using lives since we first had a parallel port? Come on. Isn't this amazing? This is going to confuse everyone. <laughs> no, I think it makes it easier now because it's just the one port and, 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 the, and the buses. Well, of course, I suppose if you try to go from Thunderbolt to USB, you're probably going to have a bad time. Unless the, Thunder, the Thunderbolt controllers maybe can emulate USB. Thunderbolt is an amazing technology. Uh, so uh, it might be possible. Okay. Isn't it? Isn't it like fiber optics? So people are going to have to really be careful. No, with the cable? no. Uh, this no. So Thunderbolt is. So the, so so this is what's confusing about Thunderbolt. When Thunderbolt was first developed, they developed it at its like maximum possible speed, which is just insane, crazy. No technology in our desktop computers is that fast, and they did design that over th- over over fiber, and then they worked it back. So Thunderbolt one was copper. Thunderbolt 2 was another type of copper cable, and this is also going to be a copper cable. So it's, uh, yeah, they have, so that's the other thing I really like about Thunderbolt, and I'm kind of glad you brought that up, is Thunderbolt already has like 20 years ahead of it. it I mean, I know I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really blowing this technology hard right now, but it is really a great technology. And as long as you are, as long as the box is physically secure, I, I just justifiably cannot find a fault with it. And I, I, I think that it, what I love about it is exactly what you pointed out, is they've experimented with Thunderbolt transmission over, uh, over copper, over glass, and over light. Um, you know, I mean, of course, over fiber, but I mean, just light to light, like no, no wire transmission. Like Thunderbolt has a very long term path ahead of it. So I, I don't know what my advocacy is going to do for it here. Nothing, really. I'm not going to get anything done. But uh, I think it's I think it's pretty slick. And I think it's extremely slick to have all of these protocols uh, over one plug. Because, you know, here in the studio, it is a wiring mess. And you've got we've got DVI mini. We've got mini HDMI, mini display port, regular display port, uh, HDMI out. And then we have HDMI in, we have uh, SDI in, we have uh, this weird connector that's designed for component. 
And all of these things are all incompatible. Like, we have more adapters up. Like, if you tore this whole studio down, you could fill a box just full of adapters to adapt all these stupid plugs because, like, we got NUCs and we got we got full-fledged PCs where the video cards have different capabilities. And it's just, and then we have Macs that, you know, uh, depending on which generation of the Mac you get, they've either got a Thunderbolt connection or they've got a, a proprietary Mac a DVI connector or whatever. It's, it is maddening. So, uh, for me... Oh, man. I, I mean, I guess the problem really is none of the payoff is going to be, what, five years down the road, really, once I've maybe – and that's if I replace devices at a fairly fast clip. Uh, and, and it's uh, – and then, you know, we're still going to have mini USB-C because they're not going to want to put huge C connectors on, on mobile devices all the time. Um, go ahead, Q. You had a question? Yes, because – how, how confusing or how compatible is this going to be? Uh, are you going to be able to connect a Thunderbolt 3 cable to an Android M phone, or how does it work? Does it, you know, well, I didn't. I don't. Wise? I didn't look into it because I don't think they. I. It's hard to really. I mean, like, even if it's theoretically, technically possible, it's going to be up to the OEM to. So, so say, take for example, you took a USB-based Android phone uh, with a USB-C connector, and then on the other end, you plugged it into a Thunderbolt port on a Mac, right? Uh, if theoretically, it is entirely possible for Apple to include the USB protocol support in the Thunderbolt controller. And I'd be willing to bet Apple will do it. But it doesn't mean necessarily that HP would. Because maybe HP goes with some cheap Thunderbolt controller on their workstations that only supports the Thunderbolt protocol, right? Because really what it is, is this is a PCI Express wire, and then, we're, then you're, you're putting controllers on either end of it, and they're speaking a protocol. So it, it, is, it is truly up to what those controller protocols speak. But the more protocols they speak, probably the more complicated the controller has to be and probably the more cost for the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah, they were calling it Light Peak, right? Yeah, thank you, Q5. Uh, but it is still in the labs. Uh, 40 gigabits, though, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to complain about that. And pushing two 4K displays with one connector, I can't really complain about that. Uh, more information, by the way, about Light Peak in the Ars Technica write-up. And the word on the street is we'd probably see Thunderbolt 3 paired with Skylake, which is Intel's next chip after Broadwell, which we're going to see Broadwell next. Skylake, if Intel doesn't blow their release schedule like they did with Broadwell so bad, Skylake is expected in later 2015. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right. Broadwell. Broadwell was supposed to be out like almost a year ago, right? I mean, come on. Not that bad, but jeez Louise. Hey, so you know Apple's going to be jumping on that Thunderbolt bandwagon. So let's talk a little bit more about Apple because we got a, we got a couple of stories and then we'll get out of here. We won't, stop. we won't talk about Apple anymore. But uh, coming just probably days away is uh, – and I was just thinking about this this morning on my drive over here as I was listening to Spotify. And so I, I was when I saw this story, I was like, okay, I got to talk about this. Apple uh, is rumored to launch a $10 a month internet radio that's going to have real live DJs and perhaps famous DJs based on the rumors of hiring they've done. Uh, Apple is supp- supposedly getting set to launch this maybe at their WWDC conference, which is uh, coming up very soon. Apple sells 80 to 85% of music downloads worldwide via iTunes right now. But that is slipping fast as these guys go to streaming, as you know, customers go to streaming. So uh, Apple figured they're going to have uh, a perhaps ad-supported internet radio service with channels programmed and hosted by human DJs. Like you actually hear humans on the stations. Hmm. What do you think about? What do you think about? What do you think about this? What would Apple have to do, you guys, to make a music service you'd be willing to pay ten dollars a month for? I, I, I was the only reason why I'm, I'm prepared to answer this question is because I actually thought about this on the drive over here this morning when I was listening to Spotify. 
So what would Apple have to do for you guys to want to use iTunes Radio? Or whatever they're going to call it. has to work on Linux. Okay, has to work on Linux. Okay, that's a good one. Is that it? If it worked on Linux, you'd, you'd, you'd consider using it? I, I just have... I just have such a, a problem with Apple that I just can't even think of answering questions like that because I'm not I'm never going to use Apple ever again, pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this a little bit because um, I, you know how you've heard the term inbox zero. I feel like I'm in a music play. I'm in music zero right now. I have moved around distros and operating systems so many times that I've just devastated my, my media collection. I, I, I have like like half, half of it on one NAS, half of it on another NAS, half of it in Dropbox, half of it in BitTorrent Sync. I mean, it is just such a freaking disaster. Such a disaster that it gives me anxiety even freaking thinking about it. So in my opinion, I've given up. I, I really like what I did earlier this year is I signed up for Spotify. I, I can't remember like it was there was like a like a like a Spotify deal or something. So I was like, hey, you know what? All right, I'll try it. Since they have, there's a client for Linux and I saw it's in the AUR. I thought, okay, I'll give this a go. And uh, it's been great. I can't believe how much I like it. Like I put it on extreme quality and I download the tracks to my phone. And, you know, I use the radio from time to time. And it is nice it's good quality i can't complain about the quality and the selection is well i I don't i don't notice anything missing ever and i don't really know what music i want to hear all the time so it's nice that it sort of picks it for me but it isn't great at that and so i was thinking this morning how i wish well the way i got to the itunes thing is while i was listening to spotify i thought there might be a spot out there, and maybe there is already some good internet radio stations where there's a live DJ who's playing the kind of music that I like, the kind of the music that I play on the morning streams before we start our shows. And I thought maybe I could something I could tune into on my drive and, and listen to somebody kind of doing like a – almost like Adam Curry's Daily Source Code, but something live and happening and always on. And, and then I started thinking about the quality of the music and – how this, how Spotify is really sort of, it's like an on-demand music library for me. I don't really enjoy the radio station stuff so much. It's not as good as Pandora, but I don't like Pandora's limitations. And I can't pay for Pandora and Spotify. That seems ridiculous. But if I looked at Spotify as sort of my music library, there is room for something in there that it's a little more curated and generated for me, perhaps. And something hosted by a DJ would be kind of an interesting... I mean, I, I don't know. Like, if there was a DJ I really liked, that might be kind of a fun thing. And if the music was super high quality, and if it worked under Linux, and if it worked under Android, and, and if, it, if it worked like iTunes Plus does, to my understanding, I've never used it, but my understanding with iTunes Plus is when you play the track and it streams to that track to your device, it also keeps the track on your device automatically. And then so the next time you play that track, it's playing it locally. And then if you need the storage, it automatically cleans that up. So I like the idea of somebody, as somebody who tries to reduce data usage, because I, uh, I try to just use that over Wi-Fi, I could build up a playlist while I'm on Wi-Fi, and then I go on the road, and I have all that music with me. And if it's really high quality, maybe like stored in AAC, which I personally believe is a better format for music than MP3. I mean, it's not FLAC, but at least it's not MP3. Uh, and I notice the difference, personally. So as somebody who notices the difference, like when, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody launched a really high-resolution music service rate lately. One of the rappers did. I, Tidal. I, uh, what's that? It's called Tidal. Is. Yeah, Tidal. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Tidal. Tidal, you know, the one thing that appealed to me about it is high-quality music. I didn't really try it out. But the one thing that appealed to me is high-resolution music because it's something I do take. I, be, I can tell because I, we have some nice headphones in studio for studio for editing. 
And so they also, you know, you can use them to listen to music. And so they, you can tell when the music really sucks. And that's why I had to cancel XM, actually, because the music quality was just not that good. And then Spotify actually manages at extreme quality to pass the test. And so if Apple could do something like that for $10 a month, it was all you could eat with human DJs. I mean, my music, I mean, just I am in such a place right now with my music that I would at least consider it. But they'd really have to do something different there. And I just don't know if they have it in them. Maybe instead they could focus on this new exploit that leaves most Macs vulnerable to a permanent backdoor. Yeah, I said a permanent backdoor because the hack in the firmware can be rewritten right after the the Mac awakes from sleep. Mm -hmm. This is a uh, blog post published by a well-known OS X security researcher, Pedro Valicia. He says that it affects Mac ship prior to the middle of 2014 that might go into sleep mode. He found a way to refresh the Mac's BIOS functionality using a user land environment tool. So that means if you get the user to run that or by exploiting vulnerabilities such as those regularly found in Safari and other web browsers, maybe through Flash or something like that or Java, attackers could install malicious firmware that survives hard drive reformatting and reinstallation of the operating system. Now, this is actually more serious than some of the Thunderbikes, Thunderstrike, which are Thunderbolt proof of concept uh, exploits that I was kind of refer, uh, alluding to earlier. Um, because this can be done essentially remotely using a userland tool. It doesn't necessarily require physical access to the Mac, and there ain't no coming back from it. That's the problem when you make those uh, BIOSes a little more programmable, those UEFI. So uh, there you go. It's a exploit in there. Boy, that's getting bad. That's getting real bad. That's getting real bad. Because now they got so, Thunderstrike and that. Yeah. Can, can some uh, firmware update from Apple actually solve that or... Maybe if they have a way to prevent writing to the bootloader stuff, the UEFI stuff, from the operating system, but then that would also see the problem is is Apple flashes. I mean, maybe maybe Apple could patch the firmware. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't maybe. know what their options are. Maybe they can push out a new version of their UEFI bootloader. Uh, but boy, you know any you know that's a that's a woo woo. Anytime you're pushing out a firmware update to your end users over the internet that write, rewrites their bootloader and they can mess that up with a low battery switch. I mean, that is just such a, you know, you know what you're doing there is when you do that kind of update, you are guaranteeing a certain percentage show up at that genius bar with a, with a uh, brick Mac. Cause these are, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would think the, these are Macs before 2014. So the older the Mac, it would seem the more likely something's going to go wrong with that firmware update. Um, <laughs> So that's a tough spot. Or they're not supported. Yeah. Or Apple says, or that's one of those things Apple doesn't talk about unless you come in and they're like, yeah, hand me your Mac. Let me just do this real quick for you. And they just do it right there at the Genius Bar. You know? I think they do those kinds of things. Well, I actually do phone support for them and um, I'm not looking forward to those calls. Yeah, so you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Okay, now let's talk about something neat that Google did that came out kind of during I.O., but didn't really get any attention, and I had a chance to play with it, and I wanted to give it a little attention here. Google has released a centralized privacy and security dashboard that's kind of neat. It's a watered-down self-audit of your account, and it, it walks you through a series of questions that says, hey, these things have access to your accounts. Uh, these devices from these locations have logged into your account from the last month or so. Like, And it's all stuff you might be able to go find in different areas at Google, but now it's a step-by-step self-security audit dashboard. Uh, these are the generated passwords you have. These are the different, uh, like, if you use uh, two-factor authentication, but you've ever had to use a one-time password for, like, a, a chat client to connect to, to connect to Google Talk or something like that, and you've generated a password for it, you can see the last time that password was used, and you can revoke it at that point. Uh, and the privacy, so that part is the privacy and security check 
checkup, which will walk through all of these areas and allow you to make changes to your Google account. They're not amazing, but they're they're at least decent. Uh, and also, you can go to privacy.google.com and answer questions about and find questions about what kind of data Google is collecting about you. So if you have concerns about the type of data Google is collecting, they, they supposedly lay it all out here. Of course, it's a nice sugar-coated saran-wrapped terms, but it's nice they did that. But it also lets you um, fiddle with the settings as well. Yeah, and that's under the myaccount.google.com area. So if you go to myaccount.google.com, it really kind of gets cool. Like uh, you can go through uh, your personal information and see what they have about you, your account history, your ad settings. Under account preferences, you can change those things. You can even delete your account or see what's on your drive. Uh, you can set up how you're uh, signing into Google. Like there's a, You can do the security checkup, which I've done. You can do the privacy checkup, which I haven't done yet. And that's at myaccount.google.com. Have you tried changing any of the settings? I did change a couple of things, yeah, actually, during the security so checkup. I, I changed the setting uh, that says that people can tag you in photos. I switched that off. Oh. Plus. And then as soon as I went to Google+, Plus, it popped up a dialogue box saying, hey, you've turned this thing off. Would you like me to turn it back on again for you? <laughs> nice. Like, what is the point of that, nagging me to turn it back on again immediately after I've just used your security sensor to turn yeah. it off? I, I like this. So, like, right here I can say, don't don't show my Google Plus profile what I've plus one I think that's kind of nice. Don't feature my yeah. publicly shared Google Plus photos as background images on Google products. Yeah. Uh, you can turn off find my face in photos and videos for people who tag me. That's kind of nice. Uh, and then you can go in here and how people can connect with you. Oh, geez, don't show all that stuff. But, you know, there it's actually like uh, a pretty nice service for Google to do. Like, So I already did the the, uh, the security checkup here. But when you go into the security checkup area, you can make sure, like, here's all the phone. Of course, Google has all old information for me. But you can, like, here's all of the uh, phone information we have for you. Here's all of uh, the uh, email accounts we can forward you at. If you get locked out of your Google account, this is how we're going to try to contact you. So th- you better make sure that works. Like, that's, for me, really nice because when I go in there, they don't have any current information for me. And so I, I, for, for myself, like, I was like, oh, crap, this Google account is what's connected to a lot of things. And so I have to go in there and do all the audit. But the truth of the matter is, it's. I still feel like it's only surface level stuff. Like I don't really feel like they're giving me true insights into what they have on me. Like I, I really appreciate they're doing this, so I don't want to minimize it. But it almost feels like. It almost kind of feels like they're giving me something to feel like I have control over these settings. But really, what I really want to know is. What are they tracking across all of the web about me? Like, what? Like, could they show me a map of of all of the sites they know I visit just based on me being logged into my Google account and those sites having AdWords? I would love to see. You know, have you, uh, Popey, do you remember that that plugin for Firefox that gives you like a real time visualization of like all of the tracking sites that are all interconnected? No. Oh, it was really cool. It was really – it gives you a, a 3D real-time visualization of all of the sites that are working together via their ad networks and cookies to track you. And so it's like – Lightbeam. Was it Lightbeam? Was that it? Yeah, Lightbeam. Yeah, that's the one. Lightbeam, yeah. That might have been it, Lightbeam. And so that kind of thing uh, can be done. And that is extremely powerful because then you realize, like, their profile building about you. When you, you think when you go from one site to another site that they have no idea what site you just came from, uh, but, like, they do. And they all work together to see what you do on each other's sites. And that Lightbeam plugin is a really great visualization of that. And I think that's one of the really kind of 
great things Google does is they're doing those kind of connections across all kinds of services, across all kinds of platforms, across everything, right? And that would really, I would love to see that, like what you know about me and how you can contact me and, and you know, what shows up in my activity feeds. I, I totally also appreciate being able to control that. And it's a key part of being able to do the rest of it. But what I'd really like to know is what are they what knowledge base are they building about Chris Fisher? What do they know about me as a person? That would, that would be killer. Lightbeam. Now, is Lightbeam available for uh, Lightbeam? Let me see. Lightbeam for, light for Chrome. Lightbeam for Firefox. Huh, funny. Lightbeam is not available for Chrome. Uh, yeah, that's it. This was it right here. So uh, this, this represents the last uh, 10 sites you went to and how they're all interconnected um, and they're, they're third-party relationships. And then you can go just look at a text list if you prefer to. And, and if, if, uh, if Mozilla, I think it's Mozilla, right? Yeah, Mozilla is the guy's, that's probably it's not available for Chrome. Uh, hey If Mozilla can make this, then Google could too. Because you know that's exactly what they're doing. Oh, oh, Rikai, Rikai comes in. Rikai in the chat room, ladies and gentlemen, with a last minute submission from Rikai, crack editor, with a uh, Google Chrome like, uh, what's this one called? Collusion. <laughs> Hey, that's a good name. I like that. Let's uh, let's see what it is here. That's a good find, Rikai. Slow the, show the collusion graph. It says. Let's see. Is that get it? Yeah. Hey there. My name is Brian. Hey, I'm Brian. one of the co-founders of Disconnect. We're a startup that makes simple, seamless tools to help you understand and control your online data. And I'm going to show you a new tool we made called Collusion for Chrome. The original Collusion is a Firefox add-on Mozilla launched about a month ago. The add-on lets you visualize otherwise invisible sites that collect your personal info when you browse the web. We wanted to bring something similar with our own spin to other browsers, starting with Chrome, hence the Collusion for Chrome extension. Let's try this thing out. Adding the extension to our browser only takes two clicks. You might spot the scary-looking install warning, but the message is standard. Collusion for Chrome just saves data locally on your computer and completely erases that data every time you exit out of your browser. After adding, the extension icon is placed in our toolbar. If we click the icon, we see a mostly empty pop-up. The basic idea is you browse the web as usual, and Collusion for Chrome draws pretty pictures in here. So I'm going to load a few of my favorite sites. Whenever the extension detects your personal info being leaked, the icon animates. Now if we click, we see a graph of the many different places yeah, that's what I'm talking about. sent to. The blue glowing circles represent the sites we went to directly. The rest of the circles are sites we never even visited, huh. like that's, that's advertisers, analytic services, and social networks. I like that you can highlight them individually. These red circles are sites known to keep tracking profiles about users, while these gray ones may or may not be tracking. As you can tell, mousing over any of the circles gets you an info card about the site, including clickable links to learn more about what they do. Besides giving Collusion a fresh coat of paint, our version lets you easily view how sites share your personal info in real time. So I think that's pretty interesting. And so uh, that's, that is sort of surface level what I'm talking about when I say I feel like Google has more on me than they're, than they're really sharing. But uh, by uh, it's sort of almost like politicians do. Like uh, a politician will, will, will sort of overgive in one area to say, look how I'm doing over here. Look how I do over here. Look how, Meanwhile, they're taking money from some special interest to do something over here. It's like, I'm, no, we, we respect and we're protecting your privacy because look at all these great, very friendly controls. And one thing they can say is our controls are way easier to understand than Facebook. So we really care about your privacy. But in reality, 
they're giving you sort of just the tip of the iceberg, right, of what they really know about you. And I would just love to see more. It almost feels a little more deceptive that they're not admitting to it. But at the same time, there's probably no real great, great way to expose that other than the way that that kid just displayed and the way that the Mozilla Foundation displayed. Somehow I don't know, they were able to figure it out. But I'm sure Google just doesn't have the time, money or resources or people. So anyways, uh, or they couldn't just grab that project. Let's move on, though, because uh, it's an interesting topic, but it is not our main topic of the day. But I do, I do encourage you to go to myaccount.google.com because I am impressed that they have done that. Now let's talk about uh, Windows. Just quick. I, I can't believe it, but we have the launch date for Windows 10. Windows 10 will be available on July 29th. Um, yeah, so get ready for Cortana in your face on July 29th. Is it too soon, Mumble Room? Does that seem like more? I, I was expecting the fall. Hotmail accounts hold separately. <laughs> yeah, right. And then uh, here's here, here we go on pricing. Windows 10 Home, of course, $119. And Windows 10 Pro, $199. Now, I think Windows 8 users are going to qualify for some crappy upgrade if they want. Uh, the prices reflect the outright purchase of the OS. So if you have a machine already win- running Windows 7 or Windows 8, there's a significant benefit to taking the free upgrade to Windows 10 during the first year of availability. Microsoft is targeting, and remember this, this is their target number, so let's see if they get there, between 1 billion, uh, wow, 1 billion installs in the next two to three years. So they really need this to take off. Uh, the largest base of Windows 7 to 8 users to upgrade, they're really going to have to happen for that. So that's their target. Ten, they, might, they might not, if, depending on how the sales go, they might not mention that number again. So burn in your memory now. One billion installs in the next two to three years. This is their next Windows XP. This is going to be... This one, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, seven, yeah, it is. No, Windows 10 is their next... This is going to be... The, I think this is going to be the next Windows that we won't be able to get rid of for the next decade. This buys the Windows desktop platform for those lazy vendors who don't want to write software for other operating systems. This buys them another five to ten years, unfortunately. This is going to be the OS that they end up not being able to get people off of. It's got so much freaking hype already. And, and it's, you know, marginally better, I suppose, whatever. It's Windows still. But, I mean, it's I shouldn't downplay it. So it's, um, it's a good, solid release. They've worked very hard on it. Uh, and it has a lot of nice features that actually, if I was going to use Windows, I would want. So I'll give it all of those things. Um, I bet it sticks around for a while because of that. And so... Would would it be interesting that maybe in five to ten years they're trying to get people off of it? I don't know. Will they hit a billion? Maybe. I think this was if they if they if they don't, then that shows that if they don't if if they don't hit a home run with this, then they're cooked because the the hype has been going on for almost two years now for this product, and, and we've completely well, they, we've completely dropped the fact that it should be called the Windows Nine. <laughs> well, they've uh, they've already started putting the little notification on people's screen. I've seen a. Uh, stack exchange question how can i remove the notification thing from my windows machine telling me that i can get a windows 10 upgrade for free no they're they're sending like through the windows update system they're sending notifications yeah there's a little, yes. a little thing in the bottom bottom of the screen a windows icon, a little, like, they little wait windows. you're telling me like if i you're telling me if i was on uh, if i was a windows 7 user right now i would have gotten a notification pop about windows 10 mm-hmm. i don't know what the qualification for it is but i know some people have got it I actually have it on my desktop. Does anybody have a screenshot of this? This is unbelievable. You're telling me that Microsoft is spamming users about their next OS? Wow. I guess that's not that. But, I mean, it's one thing when it's released and it's a free upgrade. But it's a, and it's also a one thing when it is a, a, a free product that you would just get regardless. But it is a commercial product 
It is a commercial proprietary product that they are advertising on another proprietary commercial product that people spend hundreds of dollars for. Are you serious? Like, it would be one thing if it was free, but people spend hundreds of dollars for this operating system and it's advertising to them? (laughs) If you look in the... um in the IRC, I pasted the link to the okay. superuser.com. Okay. Uh, this is un- – I cannot believe people – wow. Oh, my God. It's not even a small pop-up either. It's like a big window. I, when, oh, when you click it. I can't believe people put up with this. It, could you imagine? Oh, my God. This how, – how is this – how is this okay? How is this okay? This is not okay. This is not okay. This is not a release product yet. Yeah, but this is this is what will get them to that billion. Is if if they've got that little notification in the corner of the screen constantly nagging them, hey, you can get Windows Ten, and that's going to stay there for a year. Then people, what people happens when you move. click it? If you can, do you think at some point it'll start installing? Like when it's released? Oh man, could you imagine how many IT sysadmins are going to be so pissed off that like thirty percent of the users click the upgrade button? <laughs> Shouldn't give those users admin rights, buddy. <laughs> I've already talked to some citizen admins that say this notification has popped up on some of their oh, business man. You machines. Know, that's just going to cause people asking, when are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? Is this on the schedule yet? When are we going to have this? Can we have this done yet? Oh, man, goodness gracious. And how many years does Windows 7 have left in it? I don't know. I can't keep track of these things. <sighs> that is so... That is the best thing I have heard all day. I mean, I thought Windows was a total laughingstock before but now this is some kind of classic this is so rich thank you bobby thank you for sharing that with me oh man oh this good all right so let's talk about something that i'm a little skeptical of blocks wearables is going to start a modular smartwatch this summer i don't know if this is possible but you get it you've seen it actually uh it's sort of in the uh on the uh, in the spirit of project uh, era that we've seen and google showed recently at io uh this module will include things like a qualcomm snapdragon 400 processor so you know, not too bad uh, and of course other fancy modules as you can kind of imagine and if you're looking at the video version i'm showing you some prototype this one has a round display we actually haven't seen a full working product yet but uh Assuming they could get it working, you could have modules like GPS, cellular connectivity, contactless payment, heart monitoring, uh, and the and, sar- and part of the components would be in the band, in the in the in links of the band. So uh, you would just snap together different components of the band that would have different modules. Maybe some of those modules would be battery life. One would be a GPS chip. I think something kind of similar to what the Pebble Time uh, is potentially offering. Maybe not quite as modular though. Blocks. Anybody excited about a modular smartwatch? If it's got an open API for uh, talking to it, then yeah. If it's tied to, if it's Android right. and it's tied to Android devices, or it, you know, tied to some other platform, then yeah. I'm not interested at all. I mean, that's what you know. I drunkenly backed the Pebble Time um, a mm-hmm. few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'll be getting one of those. Um, and I, I like I like the idea of a modular smartwatch, especially if you know I'm particularly interested in having long battery life. Um, or you know, if I'm going for a run, I might want it light and you know not holding my arm down while I'm while I'm running along. But if I go on holiday yeah. or you know go on a long walking trek, then I might want extra battery life. So yeah, I can I can see how it's quite compelling. Like uh, I uh, I actually I agree with that too. I might be more willing to invest in a higher quality metal of a watch, something that costs maybe some serious money, if I felt like I could extend the life by many years through modules in the watch band. Um, you know, if if the watch 
UI and all of that was sort of just a receiver for components in in the band, and also uh, augmented by the uh, processor in my smart. I'm, I'm sorry, my smartphone. I could see myself being willing to live with a single smartwatch for many years and maybe actually spend some money. That could be decent. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, real-time follow-up, JB Live 96699 in the chat room says that if you don't want to get the spam from Microsoft, you can uninstall the Windows Update KB3035583. I believe that's KB3035583. And if you uninstall that from Ad Remove or Programs and Features, whatever the hell it's called now, uh, you can uh, disable the spam. Corky, you have a question about durability. Good question. What are your thoughts? Well, there's been not many modulus watches for a while and watches are famous for having incredibly small screws because they're designed to last and if you start adding large joints or larger screws for people to assemble their own, it might make it quite a weak watch something that falls apart quite easily. Wouldn't you be you concerned about pieces. that Block's phone too, though, in that case? Well, phones are larger, mm. where, whereas mm-hmm. the components in a watch are yeah. meant to be incredibly small. Yeah, and watches get whacked around up against things a lot more too. The thing that worries me about this is the same that worries me about any modular device, is that if you don't get enough... Um, traction user base then you can't attract people to create modules for it and if you don't create modules for it then it's dead in the water because you'll buy it and you'll think i know i'll have years out of this because it'll i'll keep on getting new components for it over over time when in fact the company that made it originally just move <laughs> right. on to the version two yeah and drop the other one like a hot rock yeah and nobody ever gets new modules for the old one that is so true that is so true new connectors come along Improve streamlined ways of doing things that, you know, mandate going to a different style. Yes. Oh, yes. you know, I, I would hope, though, like it would seem like eventually with watches, we could come to some sort of standard watch band type. But, of course, that's probably just a pipe dream. Darn it. Well, we'll watch it and see what happens. They're going to have some more n- announcements very soon. Uh, I-, I wanted to follow up with anybody that may be having some problems with episode 367 of last uh one user, Cat's Rules, said that he had 24 gigabytes of corrupt data, <laughs> and it hung at 99%. Sorry about that. We don't know exactly why the torrent got garbled, but we have a new torrent up in the feeds and up on the site. And uh, if you had any issues, you can re-grab Last367 that way. Sorry about that. We don't really know why that happens sometimes. Perhaps gremlins. Don't feed them. Don't get them wet. Hey, uh, Patreon.com, 509 of you supporting the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. Thank you so much. And if you check out the posts over there for our patrons, we have a behind-the-scenes video with Noah and I working on a new rig that we put in this weekend that is one of the reasons why the mumble room so, sounds so damn good today. Thanks, Noah, and uh, thanks to our patrons over Patreon.com slash today for making these improvements possible so that way our shows, all of them, sound a little bit better. Patreon.com slash today. Got an end of show clip that uh, is not super um, friendly to audio listeners. It's got a good tune. Microsoft really for years has been in this mode. I, I, I can say this only on my casual observation of trying to find very frequently Microsoft commercials for the end of the show because we'll frequently be talking about Windows 10 or something dumb they're doing or something smart they're doing or, or like what, something that's confusing. And it's great to have a commercial like, like Cheese Goes With Wine. A good Microsoft commercial goes with a good Microsoft story. But so many Microsoft commercials are just music. They're just music. Uh, but this one, was, this one was interesting. I was going through the Windows 8 commercials right before Windows 8 came out. And they were talking about, uh, well, 
all kinds of ways that made it very innovative and new and, and gave you new access to your PC and reimagined how you could work with your PC. So uh, that's what this clip is, is Microsoft telling you how your PC will be reimagined with Windows 8. Well, that is until Windows 10 comes out. See you back here tomorrow, everybody. TechTalkToday.reddit.com to make this show better. 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Since it is a daily show, sometimes it's subject to change, so that calendar is always the best place to find out the latest. Thanks, Bumble Room. See you guys back here tomorrow. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.